We are a church that is planted for one reason, and that is to proclaim Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't win you, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Jesus stood in front of a lot of people in his life, and he didn't even win some of those people. So if I stand here and tell you that Jesus is the best thing, and he is here to save the world, he's here to transform our communities, and you walk away from that, I don't know what else is to be done. I can't win you back with prizes. I can't win you back with a flashy band. I can't win you back with a large auditorium. I can't win you back with donuts every Sunday. That would be nice, though, Michael. Write that down. (laughs) Donuts. I can't do those things. What I can do is I can be faithful to Jesus Christ every week. And I can proclaim his name, and I can show how my life has transformed because of him. I can show how our community can be transformed because of him. And I can show him how your lives and the people that you come in contact each day with will be transformed because of that. That's what we want to do. And you're here because some part of you believes that too. Some part of you believes that Jesus is the only message that we need to proclaim in this community. We don't need tricks. We don't need theatrics. We don't need all of these big things. Hyphen always from day one has set out to start in the way that we intend to continue. We start with a small band. We are going to continue in that way because there's something powerful about the voice And something powerful about listening to us sing as well. And we're not brilliant singers, are we? We're not great. And that's fine. Because to God, it sounds like a choir of angels singing. So I'm not not here to impress you. The, the, The band on any week is not here to impress you. What we're here to do is to make a commitment to God and this community and to each other. And what we want to lay out in this series, this is week three of that, we want to lay out that our communities are in deep trouble. We're in deep trouble. When we're far from Christ, when we're far from God, we're in deep trouble. But also, we want to trouble the deepness inside of people. We want to cause something to stir in them, that when they look at us, they see that there's something different. And so for the past few weeks, we've been talking about Paul and Silas in the book of Acts. And everywhere they went, throughout, the, out, throughout Turkey and throughout Greece, through Asia Minor, everywhere they went, things changed. People changed. Communities changed. Many trusted in Jesus because of their message, because, you know, they brought the bounce house, right? That's the way Paul grew the church in, no, that's wrong. Paul didn't have a bounce house. He didn't have all of those things that we think are so necessary to grow a church. Let us be people that grow the church through bounce houses. I don't know why I'm obsessed with bounce houses today. I just am. And so... Paul and Silas were winsome in the way that they worked in their message with Jesus. But some others were not convinced. Other people would look at them and say, you know what, that's really just not for me. I see that and I understand, but I don't understand. I don't understand why I would give up my comfort and my skills to do that. 
but nothing was the same after they had been there. Their impact was so strong that other communities had heard about them. And so when they got to the city of Thessalonica, their reputation preceded them. The men there knew what Paul and Silas were there to do, and it was to change them. Some believed in Jesus, but others fought back. And let me read through Acts 17 here, 1 through 9. It says, after Paul and Silas had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that there was uh, it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, who I am proclaiming to you. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplaces, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out, to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities, shouting, these people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has entertained them as guests. They are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. The people and the city's officials were disturbed when they heard this, and after they had taken bail from Jason and others, they let them go. Their impact was so strong that other communities had heard about them. Their reputation preceded them. They stirred up the people that were in Thessalonica. And it was in the fighting back that Paul and Silas's impact was most revealed. Their enemies revealed what Paul and Silas were doing. They said in verse 6, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. No matter what they thought of Paul and Silas, they knew one thing, that they had turned the world upside down, that they were changing cities wherever they went. And so in reading that passage, I got to thinking, are we changing the world? Are we people that when we step foot into a city, when we step foot into our neighborhoods, when we come into our family gatherings, what do people think about our reputation? Are people looking at us and saying, there are people there that are instigators, they're agitators, they're turning the world upside down, they're disturbing the people, they're disturbing the peace, or are they thinking, just another church, not going to rock the boat, not going to be very good. That's not for me, but I hope and wish them all the best. They were turning the world upside down. And where has our lives gone that we've lost the reputation as a church and as Christians, as believers of Christ, that we've lost our impact? Now, several years ago, there was a book written by a man named Rick Warren who planted a very, very small church out in California called Saddleback. And it grew to about 15,000 people. And he wrote this book called A Purpose-Driven Church and then A Purpose-Driven Life. And there were Bible studies and all kinds of things. You've probably gone through that before. This morning, I want to look at just a slight change 
in that. We all have purpose, and the purpose of this church is very clear, to form people that practice the presence of Jesus for the sake of their neighbors. And we started, we, we started with that idea in mind. And we said, this is what we want to do. We want to transform our neighborhoods. That was our vision. We want to transform our families. We want to transform our communities. And how are we going to do that? We're going to practice the presence of Christ wherever we go. And then our job as a church is to form you, to educate you, to create in you ways that you can practice the presence of Christ for the people around you. That's our purpose. That's what we wanted to accomplish. That's what we're looking for always. We'll never reach there. Obviously, that's the purpose. If, if everyone was a believer in the community, then we wouldn't have a purpose anymore. So our purpose is always there. It's always pushing us. We want to be that impact-driven church. We want to be a church that's driven by creating an impact in the community. These two men were changing the world wherever they went. We have a room full of people, more than two people, I would say. Why are we not impacting our community in the same way? What a thing to say about Paul and Silas. What a thing to say about the church. Is the church still changing the world? Is the church still impacting like it used to? What if we were making an impact like that? What if people knew the world was going to be different because of us? What if people were coming to Jesus by our presence and our message? What if people said, those people, they're turning the world upside down? And so as I thought through this passage, as I thought through all of those questions, I came up with four big ones that have been sort of the, the driver of our series. And so uh, last week we looked at the first question. Are we a threat to turn our world upside down? Do we have what it takes to make a difference in our world? Is Jesus important enough to us that we will stop at nothing to see that he's lifted up? And that was the big question. What do we think is the most important thing in our life? What is the most important thing that we will do? Because if Jesus is not the most important thing, then we are going to stop. Something's going to get in our way, and when it gets really, really difficult to do that, all of a sudden we're going to say, nope, I have other things to do. I have to go and bury my father, or I just got a new bounce house. I, again, I'm not sure where this is coming from. But we talked about three things that will make us a threat. Treat nobody's as somebody's. When we invite people in that are on the margins, when we invite people into our lives that look different than us and speak different than us and feel different things and think different things than us, we're doing what Jesus has taught us to do. He dined with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and he was ridiculed for it and they wanted to stone him. And so we can say to our prostitutes and our tax collectors and our people that don't look like us and the people on the edges of the community, come on in. We've got a great big table and we want to bless you through it. We also said we want to challenge what people think the church is. It's not a country club. It's not a place where we're coming here to make ourselves feel better. It's not a closed door session where we feel like, 
you know what, there are people on the outside looking in. We want to make this a hospitable place for them. We want to be warm and inviting and welcoming and say, come on in. The water's great. And we also said that one thing, another thing that would make us a threat is to completely sell out to see people's lives change. And I said, this is the hardest part for me, to completely sell out my life, to completely go all in for people around me, that I would stop at nothing, that I would give up nothing to be sure that they were changing. The second question we have that's pushing this series, are the people of our community talking about our impact? Now, again, these are no's. All of these are no's because we're just infants. But they are what we want to see happen. So we want to see a community that's talking about not just our impact, but the church's impact, Christ's impact in the community. Does our community see that we're bringing change? Is the community different because we exist? And question three is, are we doing anything that will disturb our community? Are we shaking up those who have no use for Jesus? Are we doing anything that causes people to be disturbed by our presence? That when we walk into a room or we show up at an event, people are like, oh man, check this out. Check this out. Something is going to happen here. And question four is, is our presence leading people to make eternal decisions? which is a giant question. Because we are here, because we show up in our families, in our communities, what difference does it make in their lives? What is our presence doing for people as we're there with them? And so this week, we're going to talk about the second question in those. Are the people of our community talking about our impact? Um, the year was 2013. I was a young worship leader, and I had just started in a church in Grand Blanc, and I didn't know what I was doing, really. And I went to this conference in uh, Virginia, the National Worship Leaders Conference, and I was just taking in everything. It was like drinking from a fire hose. There was just so much coming at me. There were all these worship sessions. There were these speakers. Um, it was such a big deal in my life. And the speaker got up. Um, for that morning, and his name was Scotty Smith, and he was uh, a pastor in Nashville, and I'd never heard of him before. And he was just talking about worship, and he was talking about the church and what we were supposed to do. And I was taking notes, and I'm like, yeah, this is good, Scotty, thanks, thanks for, for that. And then he sort of stopped, and he kind of looked out over the crowd, and our eyes met. I'd never met him before. I didn't know who he was. And we hadn't talked after that. But he just looked at me and he said, if our community is not better because of our church's presence in it, then we don't deserve to exist. And I fell to the floor. That was, that was the most mind-blowing thing I'd ever heard because I had grown up in churches that their goal was to bring people in the door to save them and then make sure that they sign up for the potluck. That was what church was for me. It was how can you get yourself in the boat? How can you get all the knowledge that you need? And then how can you safely and courteously get yourself to heaven when it's all over? 
I had never heard of church being done in a different way like that. I'd never heard of a church impacting its community. And that question has stuck with me for those 10 years since I heard it. And so when, I, when we got together as a group and we said, now's the time to plant a church, Now's the time. I, I feel the spirit moving. I feel led to do this. And then I said to our team, here's the problem, though. Because I won't plan a church unless we can answer yes to that question. Is our churches, is our communities, is our community better because of our church's presence in it? Because otherwise, we're not starting a church. We're not doing church anymore. We're not doing it because we want to make ourselves better. And so our purpose never locked in until we had that as a yes. And everything that we do is driven through that idea. To be an impact-driven church, to be a church that says we want people to be better because of our presence. We want the community to be better because of our presence. Now, we can distill that down. How does that happen? How does that work itself out? Well, we come back every week and we talk about that. We look at the life of Jesus. We look at the, the acts of God through the Bible. And then we take that home with us. And then we just sit in our cubbies and we don't say anything to anyone. And we drive to our houses and we shut our garage. And that's it. That's the end of the week. And we come back into church and we do it again. And we say, Jesus, come into my life. Be present here in my life. Dwell among me. And oh, I feel so filled. I feel so good about what church is doing for me. And that's the routine that we get ourselves in. And then we fail at that part, that Monday through Sunday, Saturday part, where we say, how can we impact the world around us? And then we come into church and say, well, pastor, you're not doing anything. Pastor, you're not going out and reaching the people. Pastor, you're not doing this. And, and we can argue about job description all you want. But here's the problem, is that Paul and Silas left, and the church still grew. Their pastoral leaders, their elders, those people that they had when they were planting the church, they didn't need them, because they had Christ, and they had an undying, unwavering, passionate spirit to see their community changed. And so it's not all about what Hyphen can do to transform a community. It's all about how Hyphen can help you transform a community. Because God has built a church that's not a building. It's not a thing. It's people that the gates of hell will not prevail against. That's the promise. That's the promise that the church won't fail this building might fail, hyphen might fail, we might close our doors one day, but the church of Jesus Christ remains because people are passionate about growing it and impacting the world around them. So I can say, okay, yeah, hyphen's here, we've planted, we want to impact the community that we're in for the better. And so that's it. We impact the community and people's lives are better around us, around this building, around what we do. But there's another step to that because you go home and you can impact the world around you. Our jobs, our schools, our families, where we go and we shop and we live and we do our business 
Monday through Saturday. And we say, let's take that with us. Let's practice what we know God is like. Let's practice those things that we know Jesus is like. How can I be Jesus in my world? And so the people of Thessalonica were talking about what Paul and Silas were doing everywhere they went. Paul and Silas, they were making an impact. And it was the talk of the town. The gospel was making the most noise. That's what was an impact. Let's talk about, just for a second, what it means to make an impact. Impact is defined as having an influence on or effect or alter of something. When we talk about our church having an impact on our community, we're saying we are influencing our community for Jesus Christ. You know, all those influencers that they have out on Instagram and the TikTok and all those influencers, they're influencing, they're, they're, they're called influencers because they're influencing what you buy and how you live your life. And, oh, I loved this product. I'm going to record a little video about it, and I want you to do that. <laughs> and then we don't do that in our lives. As Christians, we need to be those influencers. We need to have that idea that I'm using this thing. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and he knows me by name, and he also created the universe. Man, I'm going to influence your life and, and, and how I live to share that with you and say, you know what? You should try this. You should just do this. It's amazing, the things. And, and then they post one video and they're done, right? They just collect their check on that. They keep going. They keep going because they have a product that they believe in or they're getting paid quite a lot of money for that product. And then they say, here's another one, here's another one, here's another one. And influencers gain traction because people trust their recommendations. They trust their products. They, oh, they told me about this great uh, uh, coffee maker or this milk frother, and I use it, and it's uh, incredible, and so I'll go back and get another recommendation from them. It works the same way in our lives because we can influence the people around us, and we can start to say, you know what? I've tried Jesus, and it's incredible. My life is different. It's changed. Don't tell them it's better because that's just false advertising. Because then you lose credibility as an influencer. You use credibility when you start to say, oh yeah, if you try Jesus, there won't be any problems in your life. And people on the outside of the church think that's what happens. They think that Jesus is just a little self-help book. And we go to the Bible when we are in a crisis and we say, oh, okay, so it says don't do that. And I did that and that's why I'm in trouble. Okay, I get that. I won't do that anymore, I promise and then everything will be right again. Is that what we've reduced Jesus to? In our own lives even? Just to say, you know what, Jesus helped me out of this situation and we can be best friends. Jesus wants a relationship with us and the people that we love because he loves them. And he's not always there to get us out of trouble. I don't think it works that way. I think if you read the Bible... It doesn't work that way. It doesn't look that way. So we cannot promise that. When we talk about our church having an impact on the community, we're saying we are affecting the people of our community by our lives for Jesus. 
We don't have to preach the gospel. We don't have to hit people over the head with the Bible. We don't have to tell them how wrong they are because we're just as wrong. But when we look at people, we want them to see us and they want, we want them to see Jesus. We want them to be affected by Jesus living through us. And we're also saying that the community is altered because we are here. That the community is changing, that we want it to change. We want to see transformation. Paul and Silas could have made an impact by causing a riot. They could have done that. They were two resourceful men. They, they could have figured out how to, to raise a riot. They could have come down to town and organized boycotts. They could have tried to push laws that would favor them. They could have voted for their politician who promised to reform the church. They could have raised a ruckus by pointing out all the criminals and shady characters. They could have picketed their local pagan temples. They could have done those things. And we can do those things too. But we have to think about how effective they are. They have to figure out what kind of voice we're giving in the room. They could have done those things. Jesus could have done those things. In fact, when Jesus was alive and his disciples were there, what did they expect of him? Let's raise an army. Let's storm the gates of the government. Let's kill all these people and you can be king. And Jesus says, I don't want to be king of these people. I don't want your governments. Come to my kingdom and worship me here on my terms. And so months or years later, Paul wrote back to the church at Thessalonica. And in that letter, he described his approach to coming to Thessalonica. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 13, You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or for anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. We could have. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. How did Paul win the people of the city? He cared for them. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Don't miss this. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but also our lives with you. Sometimes we get one of those if we're lucky. Sometimes we will share one of those with the people around us. I can tell you about Jesus and then on your way you go. I can share my life with you but I'm going to hold Jesus special in my heart as a special relationship that only he and I have. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. And you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless you were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with you each as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. 
And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. This is a letter Paul wrote to the people in this city where he was trying to be arrested and tried and killed. The very moment in Acts 17 that we're reading about the people of Thessalonica coming to Paul and Silas and trying to arrest him and try him and kill him. Years later, he writes a letter back to him and says, how great you are. Boy, I wish I had that. And we can see what drove Paul's impact in Thessalonica. It wasn't rioting. It wasn't fighting. It was love. He delighted to love. He took pleasure to love the community and the people in those places. He loved the community. And that seems like such a simple thing. But this is more than just hometown heroics. This is more than just, woo, go Fenton. We love you, Fenton. This is more than that. It's more than just pride in our community. It's love of the people in the community. It's a desire to seek them out and to say, I love you so much that I want to change your world. I'm going to flip it upside down. If we want to make an impact in our community, we have to love our community. So here's some questions. Do you love this community? And let's flip it around. Do the people of this community mean anything to you? Do those people walking by right there, flesh and blood, do they mean anything to you? Because if they don't, we have to have a different conversation. Because Jesus pulled himself out of the boat and walked on the shore, and he was moved to compassion by the people that he saw. And he didn't even live there. He was a stranger in that land. And then people would walk up to him. Heal me. I believe in you. I love you. Do the people here mean anything to you? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to see people's lives changed here? What would you be willing to sacrifice for your community? Now, those are questions that we have to wrestle with. Those are the questions that we have to sit with in our heart and say, listen, God, where's my love of people? I love my community. Sure, I want to change it. But do I want to change it because I think it's better or because I want people to fall in love with you? We will not make an impact here until we are ready to answer yes Nobody will ever be changed in the world without passion. We have to be passionate about the people in our community. That means we need a new church mindset. We have to change our mind from how can the community serve our church to how can we serve our community. We have to stop complaining about what is wrong with the community and start looking for where we can make things right in our community. And that change in mindset is going to be difficult. But we have to change the way we think about our community in order to love our community. So I want three really super practical things that I'm going to give you on how we can cultivate love for our community. Really practical stuff here. 
The first one is ask questions. What would it look like to see churches doing in our community? What would you like to see churches doing in our community? So as you're out and about, as you're wandering around, taking walks, going to the store, meeting people for the first time at restaurants, wherever it might be, what is something you would like to see a church do in our community? Where do you think churches are missing it in our community? What are the greatest needs in your life right now? Those are three super simple questions that you can ask just about anybody. You're not, it's not, I know, I'm an introvert. I know it's scary to invite people to church. I know it's scary to uh, offer the love of Christ to people. I know it's scary to ask them about, you know, what do they believe? But I think that these are easier questions to ask because you're not inviting them to church. You're asking them, what can the church do for you? What are we missing as a church community, as believers of Christ? What are we missing? What can't we see that you see? I bet you if you ask a waitress or someone that's helping you in the checkout, you ask them that question, you'll get 15 answers. They might not be ready to come to church. They might not be ready to give their heart to Jesus, but they have just found someone who has and is ready to change the community because of what they've done. Ask on Facebook. Ask these questions to people. Say, what are we missing as a church in the community? How can we help? How can we be better? And use these questions to dig into people's heart. Let their answers show what is important to them. Because you're just having a conversation about how we can help in the community, but what they say is going to reveal a lot about them. What you ask reveals about you, but how they answer reveals their hearts. Let their answers give you a glimpse of how you can really make a difference. I was chatting with uh, Corey, who's on our team here, and, you know, he was talking about this, this church in the area. It's a big church. I won't name the names, but they were using the money that they had to build a brand new building. Very costly building in the millions. And he said, what, is that, what does that do? We have resources to do $5 million building, and yet, what's our community look like? And I said, here's a better idea. Let's take whatever that is, and let's build houses. Let's impact the people here in a tangible way. You know, there's 11% of the population of Fenton living under the poverty line. And we look around and we're like, man, this is a pretty rich community. I feel like there's lots of things going on, lots of great restaurants, people are driving super fancy cars. 11% of the population of Fenton is under the poverty line. Let's do something for them. Let's take that $5 million, which is hypothetical because we don't have $5 million, but let's take that $5 million and let's build houses for our community. Let's clean up parks. Let's do some really big things that shock people and say, I can't believe a church did that for us. I thought you were all the same. I thought you were going to try and hit me over the head with a Bible, but instead you came into my life and you changed my life. And that speaks volumes. 
Let their answers break your heart and let God plant seeds of love in you. The second thing that we can do that's super practical is a prayer walk. I don't know if you've ever been on a prayer walk. I love a good walk. I love a good walk. And so when we walk around our neighborhoods, when we come downtown to walk, we're not just walking. We're not listening to podcasts. We're not listening to music. We're praying. We're walking by individual houses. We're walking by businesses. And we're saying, God, we're here in this community. How can we now impact the people here? Ask God to show you what he sees. Ask God to help you love this community. Ask God to give you specific ways to show your love to this community. You know, if we don't feel that passion for people in this community, we get to pray for that. God, where is that? Why am I lacking that? Open my eyes so that I can see what you see. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Because what I can do is so limited. And third is just take church outside the walls. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The church is not a building. It is people. You are the church. And wherever you go, take Christ with you. Be a presence for him in the lives of other people. We need you to take the church to the community. And we know that God is using us to impact lives. And he's not just using us in this room, but he's using the kids down in the kids' room. He's using people of all ages to impact the community. And all we need to do is have a desire to impact people for him. All we need to do is have a desire to show this community who we are. Kids want to help. They get it. They instinctively know. And then somewhere... It falls away. We want to be an impact-driven church. We know our purpose. We know who we are. We know who Christ is. But we want to be driven by the fact that we are trying to impact the world around us. We are a testimony to that. And maybe you're here today because of someone in your life who impacted you, who was a presence of Christ for you at some point. They didn't riot, but you are here because Christ entered your life somehow.